Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. I'm so thrilled you joined me uh, for this episode of the podcast, and I'm super excited uh, to have Naomi O'Brien on the podcast. Naomi, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Yeah, yeah. So you're, uh, are you back to school already, or are you still in the process? I just of- had my like, first week before kids, so setting up the room, all the meetings. We had to meet the teacher last night. And the kids start on Monday. And, so close. And and you're in Colorado. We talked about right. Yes, I'm over in Denver. Oh, I I've been to Denver. One for sure. One, yeah, once that I got to spend time, and it was one of my favorite places I've ever been. It was such yeah, a it's cool beautiful. City. We like it a lot. I'm actually I'm from Florida, but we came out here for the weather, and it's beautiful. You you like left the Florida weather for Colorado, where it snows. Yes, it's great. <laughs> no humidity, no cockroaches. Ah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. See, I I was the opposite. I I left I left Wisconsin and went to went to Houston for eight years, and now I'm now I'm back in Wisconsin because I you know my I told you prior to recording I have an almost three year old nephew and a, yeah. a nephew a nephew that just turned one in June. So okay, for family. So it uh, got to be time to do that. They're they're a handful, and I don't. I mean, I I see them every couple of weeks, only for maybe a day or two at a time. But they oh, mm-hmm. they they run me ragged. <laughs> I'm sure I, they're funny, just though. Yeah, they definitely yeah. keep you busy. Awesome, awesome. Well, you know the the purpose of our podcast, what we try to do is just um, bring teachers on and and give them a platform to tell their story, with the hopes that they can, you know. Something that you say, something that you've gone through, something that you've done can can help the other teachers out there. And, and really, we want to make sure that we're, you know, shining a, a positive light on all the great things that are happening in classrooms. And we're, like I said, really excited to have a conversation with you. Yeah, I'm excited to talk. Thanks. Awesome. So if you could just, you know, for our listeners, give us just a little bit of your background and, you know, kind of the story of how you became a teacher. So I have been a teacher. This will be starting my eighth year teaching. Um, I had a really amazing teacher in second grade. Um, Also, I should back up to say that my dad was in the Army, so every school year until middle school, we moved. So kinder through fifth grade was a brand new school and almost in a brand new state or city every year. And... Just every time we moved, it was like, okay, like, how is the school going to compare to the last school? So my second grade experience was amazing, which is pretty early on. And I just feel like every year after that, I was waiting for it to be just as great um, or the teacher to be just as amazing. It was this man named Patrick Stordahl in Washington State, and he just made learning so authentic and fun and exciting, and I just loved it. And every grade, I just kept waiting for that Mr. Stordahl feel or that teacher that was going to do this like Mr. Stordahl do that or just make me feel like this great learner um and it was just kind of lacking sadly um so I kind of feel like as I went throughout school I was just kind of telling myself like I could do this or I could be another Mr. Stordahl to somebody else because um it's not every teacher out here doing things you know the same way or making an impact the way that he made an impact for me so that's kind of like where I just had the seed planted of like in second grade and thinking he was amazing and being like, I want to do that for somebody else. Um, I actually, when I graduated from college, looked him up just like hoping he was still there and he was actually at the same elementary school in Olympia, Washington, um, and still teaching second grade. 
And I just told him, like, I'm graduating, I'm becoming a teacher because of you. Um, so that was pretty cool to do. Yeah, that's awesome. And and what especially, you know, because this is, sort of gets to the heart of what we really try to do on the podcast, you know, what were the things that, that he did that really um, made him so valuable to you? Honestly, like, when I look back, I think I didn't really realize it um, when I was in the class, but when I look back, he really saw us all as individuals and really praised our individuality and where we were from. Um, like, my parents are from Antigua and St. Kitts in the Caribbean, and no other grade level or school ever, you know, talked about where we were from or where our parents were from or anything about our cultures. And Mr. Storrell did. I remember him asking us questions. He asked our parents questions. And one thing that I always remember and, like, that I do with my classes now is whenever we lined up, he would ask people, like, instead of just, oh, line up if you're wearing red or line up if you're wearing green, he'd be like, line up if your parents are from the Caribbean or line up if, you know, you're from this country or line up if your favorite food is, like, this, like, different, you know, food from whatever culture. Um, and it really, I remember I was just be, I would be so proud to like get to line up because he called out my parents' country or get to line up because of all of those things. And other kids, because he was so interested in, in it, um, were interested in it about you as well. And I can just remember in other grade levels feeling different because my parents weren't from America, um, but teachers not going out of their way to make that seem like it was um, a special thing or a unique thing. It was kind of like, oh, I don't really want anyone to know where my parents are from kind of the deal because I'm the odd one out whereas I feel like he made our differences like unique and feel special and we were celebrated because of it and you know this is you know a big part of why we wanted to bring you on is you know your voice for for social justice and things like that so I guess the thing that I, I'm wrestling with and I've had a lot of these conversations is I, I grew up small town Wisconsin in in what I'm learning is like the point zero zero one percent of how kids grew up like uh-huh. my my family is my family was by no means rich but in terms of the the whole totality of what I had like great education really good siblings you know great parents who are about uh-huh. to celebrate their 40th anniversary all of my fa- all of my family was like extended family was within 15 minutes so I had this like unbelievable unbelievable support system yeah. And, you know now I hear you know, really and then I moved to Houston and I taught in Houston and it, it just kind of slowly kind of pulled that apart but with what you're saying it it's you know that's it's probably been how long has it been since you were in second grade I'm I'm trying to do the quick math 92 so I mean yeah so I mean been it's been been 16 years and it's crazy to me to think that there's a lot of kids who still go through that don't they Mhm definitely So do you do you think because of that you because of that experience do you think you I'm trying to think do you think you recognize it better in other kids? Because of that experience, I do. Um, I think as I got older, um, and I real and I saw how many teachers didn't take that approach. It just made it very obvious that that wasn't going on in every classroom. Um, so it's definitely like reflected in the way that I take my approach because I remember how that made me feel to have it, and then how I felt to not have it. Right, and it's sure. just. It's, 
and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying, I'm, I, I'm trying to find a way to ask this question without it being a loaded question, but I, so I guess it just is a loaded question. So do you think, do you think that it's, what role does the system play? Like our educational system in, in teachers having that mentality, I guess, is, is it more who, who the people, the teachers are that they're not, you know, trained or whatever, they don't think to do this or does the system kind of put teachers in a situation where many don't feel like they have the opportunity to try to get to know kids? I think it's a little bit of both Um, because just in my experience, you know, with like the advocating that I do on social media, I get so many messages from people feeling guilty because they would totally do this and it just never occurred to them to be doing it or asking these questions or saying these things. Like I get so many messages um, every day from people being like, wow, that was really eye opening. This never occurred to me, you know, to bring this up to my students or to ask my students about their culture or where they're from or to consider that I um, should be mindful of like the parents' home language or send home, like I did, an, I do my newsletter in about three different languages and I use Google Translate, which is not the best, but it's better than nothing and people are like oh my gosh it never occurred to me that I could that I should translate my newsletter and that my parents probably really appreciate it so I think it's a lot more of people it just not occurring to them because they haven't had to think about it and it's not the way their schooling was um because for the most part I feel like we default back to how were we taught and you either do something you really loved or you do the opposite of something you didn't love happening to you um and with I think it's, like, over 80% of, like, the teaching force being white. I think a lot of white American teachers haven't had to think about education in a certain way. So it really is just, like, this, oh, I never thought about that because that was never their experience. So I think a lot of it is just needing that light bulb turned on. Um, and once it is, like, oh, so many people are like, yes, this is great. I want to start doing this. But they just didn't know that they should beforehand. Right. And I just, and, and for me, I moved to Houston cause it in, in 15 months after I graduated college, I went to a small college in Minnesota, but you know, back in 2008, what they told you when you were going into teaching is like, if you don't get a job, go sub for a year, you know, there, a door will open for you. And mm-hmm. I realized really shortly after that doors weren't going to open. So I took the first job I was offered in Houston and, you know, um, a school of 90% Hispanic kids, you know, mm-hmm. over half of them are ESL. Right. You know, and it was That's just, it was, it was the first time in my life that I realized how, you know, cause I knew that that world, ex- I think I knew it existed in my mind, but mm-hmm. I didn't understand the reality. And it took me years to really even just get a small, not to get a small glimpse, but to really understand the way kids prioritize it and my my co-host in the podcast I have been having this conversation about expectations and I just didn't understand how kids didn't have education as a priority but but when 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 you don't know potentially where you're going to sleep or what you're going to eat like right that's the least of your concerns (laughs) yeah yeah and it's just it's just so strange to me because even, you know, now at 34, I'm, I've done more reflecting in this last year that we've really dove into like the teacher Instagram community than Uh I think I did 
all the other eight years prior to that that I'd been in education that it's just and I, I really like having these conversations because like I do feel like a fair amount of shame over the fact that not only I grew up privileged but the mistakes I made with kids and I can just think back and all the times that I wasn't um you know conscious of them and the way I the way I didn't I just didn't I didn't appreciate that what they were going through and and my buddy Wilkie said this he's like you know it's about that truth and we I talked to Paul Paul France the other day and he was talking about you have to just as teachers we have to understand that everybody's truth is is true to them you get you have to go out and you have to uh-huh. believe people's truths and I just it was really hard for me to believe the truths of some of these kids and I I look back and I really like of all the things I regret that's probably what I regret the most yeah I mean like at least you see it now like I always tell people it's like that my Angelou quote of you do the best you can until you know better and then when you know better you do better so at least you know now and you you can call that out in yourself and moving forward do better not just think about it and say oh well oh well like you actually mm-hmm. realize like okay if I could have done it over here's what I could have changed and moving forward um, you can do right. better right Right. And help others and, you know, educate others or advocate for students now that, you know, you've made the growth that you've made. Right, right. So so what is one thing that you think all kids should be taught? I think that all kids should be taught how to advocate for themselves. Um, something my principal actually spoke about this week is he had us think about that one student that um, they're the reason you get up and teach and they're your motivation and... He had the teachers um, kind of tell stories about who that kid was, and almost every teacher chose a student with a behavior problem that was really angry at the beginning of the year that they were able to get through to. And then his follow-up question was, where is that student now? And everyone's answer was, well, I hope they're doing well, and I hope the teacher learned, you know, their favorite animal, or I hope the teacher learned, you know, that they like this, this kind of joke. And he was like, you know, you can't have these students dependent upon your relationship with them because at the end of the year, what did that do for them? If their next teacher doesn't form a relationship with them, are they going to have um, a negative year just because they didn't have you as their teacher? Like, how can you teach them to survive without you? And he kind of talked to us about um, how it's through advocating for themselves. Like, we need to teach them to know what they need and know how to ask for it and get what they need, whether we are there to do it for them or not um and even before he did this little activity this week that's been something that's been big for me in my classrooms for the past few years just teaching the kids to say this is what I don't have this is what I need here's how I'm going to get it or here's why I can ask for it or know who to ask for it um just they can help themselves so what does that look like because you what grade level do you teach um I've been all over like k through two um, I just taught kindergarten last year, and I'm looping up with my kids to first grade right now. So, I, I guess I'm interested because it, like, I I I love that you said self advocacy, but I I'm secondary trained. So, what does that look? What does self advocacy look like in K one two? So it could be as simple as needing to go to the bathroom. Make sure you ask um, in time, and like not being afraid to ask 
to go to the bathroom in the middle of a lesson or stopping what you're doing to go so that somebody can help you. Um, or if you're being bullied, being able to speak up or find an adult and speak up for yourself or even just needing their pencil, like their pencil won't be sharpened and they're sitting there not working and it's like, speak up for yourself, get what you need to be, um, what you need. Or I think about towards the end of the year in math when we're not using as many manipulatives, if you still need like counters or you still need a number line to know yourself well enough to say, hey, like this is going to be a little tricky if I don't have this tool and to be able to ask for the tools that you need to help yourself, um, like academically or emotionally, but just whatever they need to know that thing, to identify that need and then to know how to speak up and ask for it. So then I, I also read, you know, on, on your, your website or your blog, I guess I'm not sure what you call it, but you, Uh you specifically teach social justice to kids in, in kindergarten and first, and I'm, I'm really interested to, Uh to understand. Um, I think I understand the logic behind it, but I'd love for you to explain that. And also, exactly what that looks like because i mean kindergarten first graders they're they're six and seven years old right mm-hmm. yeah so so what yeah, is that i feel like? like it sounds crazy to a lot of people and they're like what they're just babies um but they these students especially the minority students like they are probably experience experiencing injustices all the time they're just unable to name them like i can think back to some of my earliest memories um and thinking back to like, oh, wow, that was really racist. But at the time, I didn't have that language to use. I didn't know why something happened. It was just something confusing that happened, especially being taught in school that racism is a thing of the past or stuff like this doesn't happen anymore. So when you're taught that in school, but then you have these real-world experiences or seeing things that my parents went through, um, like I can think of my mother going through experiences of being followed in the store or um, being accused of stealing things and just all sorts of things. And her like yelling at a manager or calling an employee racist and me being embarrassed of her and telling her like, people aren't racist anymore. Kind of like, what's wrong with you? Um, We learned this in school, you know, from this teacher and that teacher and that teacher. Um, And I just, because of the way that I was taught, like I wasn't able to see it for a very long time. Like I, even being a black woman, like I was naive to a lot of things because I wasn't explicitly taught that no, like there is social injustice and here's how you could think about it or here's how you could discuss it or here's how you can become more informed about it. So what we kind of do during our social studies time is, um, we'll pick topics from the past or even something from the present and it can be, you know, real world in the news or even just something in the classroom. Um, like someone not sharing and, we just kind of use that language of like, is this equal? Is that fair? What would justice look like? And just for them to start thinking through that lens of like, okay, well, what would justice look like for you? Um, like even in a story, like the example that I always use is Goldilocks and the three bears. And it's like, okay, she came in the house, she did all this crazy stuff, and then she just kind of left at the end. What would justice look like for the bears? Like, what do you think would be fair to happen to her? What should happen to them? So, you know, like their stuff got broken. And it really just starts to get their mind in that mindset of thinking through that lens of, well, was that fair? Was that equal? What would justice look like? What can I do about it? Um, and even to the point of, like, we talked about, like, February, we're talking about Martin Luther King Jr. and a bunch of other people. 
and my kids are just like, well, that's not fair, and that's not equal, and if I was in, around then, here's what I would do, and um, I had a little white girl that said that, and I'm like, yes, that's great, because people will actually listen to you more because you're white, and they're just kind of like, what? And it's like, yes, it's like, it's sad, but like that's what your role is. Like, your role is to stand up for your other friends who maybe their voices don't get heard. It's like, and yes, other friends, you stand up for yourself, but, you know, the white friends in our class, like, they people will listen to them more in some instances. So that's why we all need to be in this together. Like it's not just the black problem. It's not just the brown problem. It's not just the white problem. We can all help each other. So that's kind of the way that I go at it. And they're all for it. And like, they, they love it. Like they respond so well to it. They call things out all the time. They'll even come in and tell me stuff that they saw, like an older student doing or something they saw on the news and talk about like, was that fair? Or like, well, it was just like, they start using the vocabulary themselves. And I really feel like it just prepares them for when they're older. And when something happens to them, if they are one of those marginalized groups, or if they are in a powerful group, when they see something, they'll know this is what I'm seeing. And here's what I'm supposed to do. And here's the language that I can use because I got these skills, you know, back in the day. And it won't be as uncomfortable because they've just kind of grown up doing that and using that language. And the same way that they would call out a bully or call out, you know, someone being mean, they could call out an injustice and not feel like, oh, this is something we don't speak about. You know, this is a subject that is rude or no one really talks about it, but because they've been exposed to it and talking about it, it makes them easier to stand up for themselves or to identify when something's happening to them or to stand up for somebody else and advocate and be an ally. Yeah, and it's just, you know, I think we're... I, you know, I think we're close to the same age. You know, I was going through school in the 90s to it. And what struck me uh-huh. in what you were saying is how oblivious and how just accepting we were of what we were taught by teachers. And I don't think uh-huh. teachers, I don't think teachers had malice, but that's just the way it is. So are your, right. I mean, are your kids, are, are they, do they understand like, what's going on in the world do they have a grasp of you know kind of the basis of the situations because it was so crazy because i was still i was teaching sixth grade in texas as trump started to kind of rise Mm -hmm. and he he started to become a figure and it he was in there and i had sixth grade kids who would come up to me like almost in tears like Mm -hmm. hey mr k am I going to have to leave? Like, is my family going to have to leave? And that yeah, was crazy. Which is really sad. And then and on a level, a lot of them were, um, we have, I have a lot of Mexican students at our school. So a lot of them were worried. I have a lot of groups that, you know, have been a lot of things that he's said or policies that he's put in place. Like we have a lot of Muslim students at our school, a lot of Mexican students, a lot of African refugees at our school. Um, And especially in second through fifth grade, we had people worried, people scared. There's definitely um, been students at the school, like, with parents picked up by ICE and deported. So people were affected. And, you know, if that was, like, someone in someone's, like, father, that was somebody's father's friend or somebody's cousin. Um, So even though they are so young, like, they still are affected by those things. But on some level, they are aware of what's going on, Um, which I feel like also to be more informed about it kind of can take away some of that anxiety. Like, it's so an awful thing that's happening, but they're just having more information about what's happening and why it's happening and knowing if it could happen to them or what they could do to stop it from happening to them. 
I feel like eases that anxiety. Right. And it's just, I, I love social media. I mean, I wouldn't be where I am without it. You know, we wouldn't be doing this podcast without it. But mm-hmm. it was so crazy to me because, you know, I went from inner city, primarily Hispanic Houston. I, I had a teaching job last year where I was back in Wisconsin in a, a, a school of about 900 kids. And there was maybe a handful of African-American kids and maybe a dozen or so Hispanic kids. And it was just so crazy how many kids and I'm I'm not trying to judge them and I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're bad but how many kids all of a sudden had fake news sweatshirts and how how many of these kids oh, had all, all of these things and and where I grew up is a very very conservative area and mm-hmm. there's there's nothing but I was just so like blown away by how quickly these kids latch on to things mm-hmm. and it just made me think like I watched, I watched the news when I was growing up because that's what we did like before dinner. Like the news was on at my house right. before dinner, and now there's this constant stream of just news all the time. And I just, I I know I'm overwhelmed by it, and I just am really interested how you how you work it in with the younger kids because I think it's super important to do that because, like you said, the more they can be exposed to it and give chances to like and the thing you said that really struck me too is is to give the kids language to it because there are certain things that even you know like we were talking earlier that I struggle with that I don't have the right language for mm-hmm. I don't have the right language and I'm, I'm working on the language to ask questions to people you know that are from marginalized groups you know what what this is because I, I want to learn but I have right. I have a fear that I'm going to ask a question incorrectly. And yeah, I think that's all fair. A lot of people share as right. well. Um, and I for, what were you just saying? Oh, bringing the news into the classroom. A lot of the times, um, my students would come in and be like, "Guess what? My mom said Donald Trump said." So it's like, "Okay, we'll talk about this." Um, I would bring in a lot of concepts just from stories that we were reading. And things like that. But if they came in and were like, oh, my goodness, like, so-and-so's dad got taken away. And it's like, okay, let's talk about that. Let's talk about why that happened. Um, so I kind of, like, had it on them for what they brought in. Or I'd bring in things myself. Like, I I don't know if you know the story about me being arrested, like, wrongfully arrested um, back when I was 26. But I debated on sharing that story with my students um, and parents. And it's like, you know what, like, I don't have anything to be ashamed of. Like, I wasn't in the wrong, and it's a real-life example of somebody that they know um, that had this injustice done, and, like, they can ask me questions, and we can talk about it. And um, the parents were, like, they loved it. Like, I was like, oh, their kids are in kindergarten, but, um, like, they loved the students hearing about that. And one of my parents is even an officer, and they still were okay with, like, their their students hearing a different perspective. Um, and I think it's all in the way you present it as well. Like, you definitely have to make sure that you remain unbiased and you just present your facts and you kind of put it on, back on them, like, well, what do you think about that? Was that fair? Was that just, what would justice look like? Was that equal? Would you like that to happen to you? What if that happened to your friend? How do you think that could have been different if I wasn't black? How do you think it would be different if I was a boy? And just to start to get them thinking through situations that way instead of just through their own perspective, because I think a lot of the times we just think about, oh my goodness, what if it happened to me? 
and you just think about things through your own lens, but when you are starting to learn to start thinking about things through other people's perspective, like you can have some huge shifts in how you view the world. Right. So, so then as teachers, you know, what, what can we do, whether it's, you know, male teachers, female teachers, white, you know, African-American, Hispanic, whatever, what can we do to be better allies and support, you know, the students who come from those marginalized communities? I think that we should just always be presenting information and facts, like never just your own personal opinion on something, um, which can be hard to do because you want to, like, be like, oh, yeah, like, I totally agree with you, but you just, like, let them have their conversations and just teach our students how to think critically about things. Like, even with you talking about the students in your school that had the fake news shirts, like, as much as you want to be like, oh, my gosh, take that off. It's like, okay, well, let's talk about that. Why do you think that's fake news? Let's do some research around it and make sure we can figure out what's really fake and what's not fake and, you know, take it from a different perspective. Why would this person call it fake? How come this person thinks it's real? So just to um, teach them how to think critically and hold informed conversations, like informed being the key word of, like, did you just get this from your parents? Did you get it from the news? Was it an unbiased news source? What research can you do to fact check for yourself, especially as they get older, um, so that they can inform themselves around these issues and get multiple perspectives before they decide that they agree with this one side or the other. Right. 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 So another, another interesting thing that I saw, uh, that you had written about is, is building relationships with coworkers and with parents. And, and I think, you know, we, we know we want to build good relationships with kids, but, Sometimes those relationships with your coworkers and parents get overlooked and they're so important. So, you know, what advice or tips would you give on, on building those relationships with your coworkers and your parents? Okay. Well, you definitely have to be intentional. Um, and sometimes it can feel like one more thing to do because if you are being intentional, it is going to be time consuming because it could be, you know, allotting time after school or during your planning time to get out a phone call to parents or if they have your number to text parents. Um, I feel like the best and, like, the quickest way to get to parents is to let them know how much you care about their kids. So getting to know their kids so that you can get to know the parents through their kids by showing them that you care about them. Um, And then with coworkers, I just like to try to have genuine conversations, like ask questions about them. Um... Sometimes I'll think about somebody, like, we actually have a lot of new teachers this year, and I'll think about, like, who do I know the least, and, like, seek them out and try to, you know, start up a conversation, like, oh, where were you before this? Like, where are you from? Like, tell me about yourself, Um, and really listen to listen, Um, and then I like to do just, like, things like treats and notes, like, oh, I saw your classroom, your classroom was really cute, like, leave a post-it note, and those small interactions build over time, and then... I feel like before you know it, like you just start to build genuine connections and the more you ask about themselves, like the more things that you find out that you may have in common with them and you're able to connect on a deeper level after having, you know, small interactions. It may seem superficial at first. It's like, oh, do you have any dogs? Um, But like over time they build and become genuine. Right. And, and you know, that I really, that's interesting to me, you know, because I've, I've primarily only worked at schools that had like, 60 or 70 staff members and up so it's it's Uh so hard for me because you know there are schools and even the school I was at where like there are people that I hardly ever see um Uh but do you 
Do you then have like kind of a, a smaller, more tight knit group of people that you really kind of count on? Because I think I, I think it's important. In my school or like in life? <laughs> like, well, well, just like at your at your particular school. Because I I think the question I'm trying to ask is, you know. We want to have relationships with our coworkers, but but how do you decide who's in that group of, you know, educators who you really kind of lean on and count on? Because I know, like, as I've taught, there's at my schools, there's been a handful of people who you like. Yep, you get me. You're my jam. You know, we we kind of have the same philosophy. So mm-hmm. do you, so do you have that? And what advice would you give? You know, to especially like you said I... to the newer teachers to find it. Let me see. I don't at this school yet and it's a lot of new people um I took a year off when I had my son three years ago and then I was back part-time and it was like basically all new staff and then this is a lot of new people so I don't at my school currently but I'm working on building that right now like my current co-worker and I I can feel like we're on the right path to becoming like really close um but definitely at other schools you have like your tight-knit group of friends and like I said I think it's like small interactions um that over time you find things you have in common or you find certain teaching practices that you can learn from them or they can help you with or you can help them and you just start to build a genuine relationship like based around something like even if it's something you like to do outside of work or something you're both interested in and that just happens I feel like it has to happen genuinely over time like you're not just going to be best friends you know Mm -hmm. within the first few weeks but maybe halfway during the school year you realize like you know what I'm really close with this person and I really you know, enjoy getting to know them and maybe we'll start hanging out outside of work at this point. Um, for sure. There's a lot of people like weirdly enough on social media that I feel really close with, like, and they really resonate with me as like, Oh, you are like, I would love to work with you. Like, like Lanisha Tapp from Apron Education is like Mm -hmm. one of my best friends. Like we just met this summer, even though I've been talking to her on the phone probably every day for the past three years because we connected through social media and she's someone that, we right. connect with like through in life and also in the classroom and just things that right. we're passionate about. And again, with that, it's small conversations here and there over time that we just build genuinely. Right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we definitely want to be respectful of your time here on this Friday night. So I'm going to ask you just a few kind of wrap up questions and, and some of these you, you can answer them either like just in life in general, or you can answer them based on teaching. So um, what was the best piece of advice you've ever been given? My best piece of advice um, was to think about when you're saying yes to say something, just when you're saying yes to something, think about what you're saying no to, because I've always had a really hard time saying no and being really giving of my time um, to the point that I like burn the candle at both ends um, and not wanting to like let people down. So I think someone telling me to think about it in that perspective, like if you say yes, to staying after school to do this thing, you're saying no to dinner with your family. And like, when I think about it in that way, it makes it easier for me to say no. Yeah. I, I love that quote. I, I heard it the other way. So like really to encourage me to say no to things, you know, a friend told me like, at some point you got to say no to things. Cause everything you say no to is saying, saying yes to some, something else. So it, it mm-hmm. works both ways. So what, uh, yeah. what is the best book you've read lately or a book you would recommend? for me because just being a teacher and TPT author and parent of a toddler, I feel like in the last few years I haven't had much time for it, but this behavioral book for raising kids called Love and Logic by Jim Fay 
um, which has actually helped me in the classroom as well, but it's just about how to raise your kids with love and logic and thinking about um, logical consequences and giving them freedom to explore and make mistakes, um, which is what I do with my son, but I also found myself pulling it into the classroom last year, and it worked out really well. Awesome. Awesome. So what is your what is your proudest accomplishment to date? My son, um, I just love him. Like, he's my whole world. I love, like, the he's, he'll be three in October, and I just love the path he's on and the, like, little boy that he's becoming and just how curious and smart and crazy he is and um, just him. Yeah. yeah, my, like, we were talking a little bit, my, my three-year-old nephew is is just he's so funny i my favorite thing mm-hmm. about him is like every time i see him i think he's watching a different tv show like all the different <laughs> but he knows like no matter what he's, he knows every character yeah he just is he's just a sponge which i love so all right and then so before we ask you the the final question if people want to connect with you and you know uh learn more about the work you're doing and all that stuff what's the best way for them to do that I think the best way would be my Instagram, which is read like a rock star with no spaces or anything in between and all spelled the right way. That's where I, um, I feel like speak out the most about my social justice issues and I can communicate um, and get back to people if they have questions or send me messages. Like that's the easiest place awesome. to find me. Awesome. Well, I sure do appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule to have a conversation with me tonight yeah no problem thank you for reaching out to me yeah so the final question we've got for you is when it's all said and done what do you hope your legacy is i really hope that my legacy is creating students that grew up and become adults who advocate for you know marginalized groups like no matter if they are a teacher or a doctor or a janitor or a truck driver that they grow up and become adults that advocate for other people that teach other people how to advocate for themselves as well as other people and that that just continues and there's just this I don't know a whole generation of people that think social justice is important that they find importance in advocating for themselves and for others and showing empathy and compassion and just considering different people's perspectives and um, things along those lines awesome well Naomi thank you so much for taking some time and having a conversation with us for the podcast Yeah, no problem. Thank you.